Hey, it's Matt. It's Money Lab. Welcome. I'm in the brewery today. It is freezing cold. It is loud in here. But I wanted to talk about something I found. I'm going to open up a can of Spindrift. A little morning, morning beverage here. Crank up the temp because it is a bit cold. All right. So I found this journal entry. And the journal entry was back in November, so not too long ago. But it was based on an idea. The prompt was, what do you think you, what do you know you should do in your business, but you're not doing? So this is a fun exercise because it allows me to, it allows me to come up with things that I know. I don't need to go and do any research. I don't need some video to give me a tip on how to improve my business. I'm somebody who's been doing this for, what, almost 20 years. I mean, since 2006, yeah, so almost 20 years, 2006, two more years, it'll be 20 years. That's like half my, that's half my life. That's all I've been doing is this. And so I've read every business book, not every one, but I've read quite a few. I've seen every blog. They're all, the same. They're all saying the same thing in different ways. And so this idea of, you know, it's a good idea to read, learn, get what you need, and then stop. Stop reading, stop learning, start doing. That's it. And that is something that I know plagues a lot of entrepreneurs. They, reading feels productive. Learning, and I'll be honest with you, I feel the same way. It's not like, it's not, not like I'm special. But reading and learning feels very productive. Reading these books feels very productive. So I couple years ago, I just decided I'm going to stop reading business books because every time I read a business book, I would spiral. I'd be like, oh, I'd have to, I have to do this now. I have to, you know, do this new thing or think about this new problem or whatever it was. And now I just said, okay, I'm not going to read business books anymore at night. I'm going to read, I've been reading recently, not self-help, but philosophy. I guess it is a little self-help and mainly not for business. I don't really care about using philosophy in my business or psychology. I'm more interested in getting over my personal fears in life as I turn, as I am 40 years old now. I shouldn't be afraid to travel like I've always been afraid to travel. So I'm just using philosophy and some self-help to conquer that. But when it comes to business, again, I've been doing this a long time. I probably already know. And so I wrote a list of everything I know I should be doing in my business. But at the time of writing this, I actively wasn't. Now, I say that, and yes, some of these things I, I, I am doing and were doing at the time, but this is not going to be surprising. There was a couple on here that I thought were, oh, that's interesting, very specific, and then some were like, duh, all right? So for context, before I go through this list, this list is specifically geared towards my business, which is Swim University. We have sort of been a hybrid company recently. We started as a general media company, meaning we published content for free on any platform that would let us. And then we used to sell ads or we used to even have ads like AdSense. This is, I'm talking way back in the early days. That was the original. And we had affiliates. Also, I kind of consider those ads. If you, if you, you know, for this 
particular conversation. Okay. So then I transitioned into education. I was selling courses. So I became a digital education business that used media to promote. So I consider myself, even to this day, a digital education business. I'm literally called Swim University. So kind of education-based. Now in 2021, I started selling chemicals. So I started selling physical products to help people take care of their pools, not an education product. However, I still feel like at heart, we are first and foremost an education business. And that is sort of a side experiment that I'm still working on. Okay, so, so with that context, that's the business model. The business model is simply educate the world about pool care or educate every single pool owner and have them take care of their own pools and hot tubs via free content or paid content. All right. So the first thing on the list is, and this is like, duh, if you're a, if you're a media company and especially what I've always done, publish new articles and update old ones every week. So as of December, after like literally a day after I wrote this, that's exactly what I started doing was I personally took over the blog content for our website. I'm an SEO boy and I started updating a post every week and creating a new one every week, all right? Number two, publish new long-form YouTube videos every week. Now, at this time of writing this, we had, so in 2023, I think we published maybe 15 long-form videos on YouTube, primarily focused in the summertime. And we started to get this feeling that we were running out of content and that, you know, hey, we have a bunch of subscribers, more people are not going to subscribe when we publish new content. Like it's not, that's not the kind of channel we run. It's not based on subscribers. It's based on search. So, you know, with, with our website, I can't publish a new article every week. There isn't that much content to be published that will rank for SEO. So that's the key indicator. If I a hundred percent were only focused on SEO, then I would have no articles to publish after you know a certain amount. Maybe it's 350 or 400 articles. I've tackled every keyword, but I just, to me, bullshit. I said, I told myself that story for a long time and I still believe that I'm trying to become what I like to think of swimming diversity as is a textbook. But we also have to be consistent. We also have to keep putting ourselves out there. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to create new content all the time, but I think we have to promote old content. And so with YouTube, what is interesting about it is if we were to continue to publish the same video over and over again, all that's gonna happen to us is we're just gonna keep rising to the top of the search and we're, we're gonna dominate search will dominate the SERPs because on YouTube, you can still have multiple videos from the same channel in the search area. Whereas with Google, because there's so much competition, that isn't the case. So what's interesting is that it's different. With an article, I wanna create that article and I have the ability to update that article. And when I update up that article, I can stay in my position in the search engines results page, right? I can also, when I, every time I update that, I could promote that article, that updated article across social media. So it, I can give it new life. I can email it to my list. I can share it on social media. And it might be a year. A year has gone by. So, you know, it's... It's new content to some people, to most people. YouTube is different because you can't update videos, but you can publish new videos. So you have to kind of think of it 
like a social media platform that also has search. The same goes for Pinterest. Just because you publish one pin for a single piece of content, your job's not done. The consistency of publishing new pins and giving yourself more at-bats with that same content is the way to go. Whereas on a blog, you can keep updating that same piece of content and that's your at-bat. So it is different. So we told ourselves this story that we've, we've covered most of the topics. So we're ranked number one for all the topics. Yes, that, that's true. We do very well on YouTube. But we should constantly be creating new stuff. We can do things that are not at, on YouTube specifically and on the website, let's be honest. We can do things that have nothing to do with SEO, that are just servicing the questions in our audience. There, are, there, are no, there is no keyword to rank for money-saving pool tips. That's an example. No one's searching for that or how to save money with my pool. And if they are searching, maybe it gets 25 searches a month or something like that, something low. Now, there's a bunch of small keywords, I'm sure, that are like that in long tail. But ultimately, I would never prioritize that article on my website because no one searches for it. But my audience would love that. My social audience would love it. My YouTube audience would love it. My email audience, my subscribers would love that content. Anyone who does search for it, they're going to find it because I'm the only one that made it. So there is value in writing that content that isn't 100% SEO driven. It's not fueled by the SEO tools. Number three, run good paid ads on a tight budget based on good sales data to remain profitable. This one I've already talked about and I agree with it. I think there should be a limit to, the, to our budget. Right now I have it set at about $5,000 a month. I think that, and that's across Facebook and Google and guess Instagram as well. I'm okay with that number as long as that number, that $5,000, brings in at least, it would be nice if it brought in at least $5,000 in revenue. It would be great if it brought in $5,000 of profit. But right now, we're not even spending $5,000. We're probably only spending $2,000. But we're slowly ramping that up. But I, and, and the process that I have for running ads in the future, I think, will be will work. And if it does, and, and I'm still working with my email service provider, Clavio, to figure out how I can get better data on that, better predictive lifetime customer value on people who subscribe via Facebook or Google. So it's happening. And there is a way to do it. I'm just slowly trying to figure it out. Number, I don't have this numbered, by the way, so I'm just going to stop saying numbers because I'm going to lose my place. Uh, improve courses. So another way to say that is improve products. In the SaaS world, you are constantly improving the product, hopefully. You are constantly improving the product. Hopefully, if you're a service-based business, you're constantly improving your service. And perhaps in the pursuit of improving your service, you are also raising the price along with inflation and the general world of economics. We, in our company, we created our course products in 2017 and we are still selling them in 2023. I think it's about time we improve those. And I have a long laundry list of things that I can improve and really just blow people's minds. And that's really what I wanna do this year. I think it's incredibly important to really think about our education, the education side of our business and take it a lot. I mean, we did very well with our education business. We've continued to do well. I think we can do 
10 times better now that I've quit my other, I, you know, I used to do Brew Cabin, Money Lab, this podcast, all this stuff. And it time, the time was taken away from SUNY University. SUNY University is my main business. It, it, is, it allows me to afford my life and lifestyle. Why I, you know, why in the past I gave it such a backseat, I don't know. But that, that, those days are over. Now, the problem that I'm running into with this list is improving courses to me. Now, there's probably a way, I'm probably going to have to do an episode on this and think it through. But there's probably a way that I can improve the course slowly over time the way that I'm improving the website and our social media and our YouTube channel where I consistent, I add a consistent task where I maybe update a single video or I write a script or, you know, something. Because when I think about updating the course, my brain wants to go, hey, stop doing everything. Let's, as a company, let's halt all of our normal production so that we can all focus on improving the product. And I just don't, that's not sustainable. That's not what I want to do. I want to continue to create new articles. I want to continue to create long form videos and our social channels and and promote, continue writing emails and update the product. I also think it would be beneficial to update the, the product slower because each time it's updated, That gives me, as the marketing director, a new reason to to email my audience and let them know, hey, something has changed. Something has improved. And to people who who already purchased the product, that's awesome. Because they're like, hey, this company, I bought this incredibly affordable product from this company that really helped me. And they're, and they're making it better. And I don't have to pay any extra money for that. And, I, and they're constantly sending me emails that they've made something better. This is great. Imagine, it, just think about any software you use right now. Wouldn't it be, I, I know a lot of companies do this, but not all of them do this. But wouldn't it be freaking awesome if every single month, the company sent you an email and said, guess what? We made this faster. We made this easier to use. We made, we added this new feature. Now you can do this. Now we have AI built in and you don't have to write anything. Like anything it is, anything you can think of. Imagine that happened every month and that software was $10 a month. You'd be like, this is the most valuable thing I've ever bought. It's, they constantly improve it in, in really significant ways based on the suggestions that we give them. And they're very transparent about it. That's, I think, the way that I would like to approach our product improvements is systematically over time as opposed to, hey, we have this course. We built it in, you know, let's say 30 days. So let's take another 30 days off of all of our normal duties and improve it like one fell swoop and then send out an email. Hey, we improved everything. Well, okay, great. So I think, yeah, improve courses. Now, next one I have here is improve sales pages. Well, what's interesting about that is we've been doing that. So I started using crazy egg and I've, t- I've talked about this before. I'm gonna take a sip of uh, soda. Is Spindrift soda, because it has lemon juice, that's soda, baby. No sugar, but I mean, there's sugar in lemons. That's, you know, say no sugar at it, but you did add it via lemons. Anyway, so I started using Crazy Egg to slowly improve sales pages. How am I doing that? This is really interesting. This, was, this is the most affordable software that will completely illuminate 
or I shouldn't say this to, to you. I should say for me, this software completely illuminated what the heck was happening on my website. And it is crazy affordable, crazy egg. It's old school too, but it's user-friendly. So again, I've talked about this on other episodes, but I've used VWO, which is, I believe, an Indian company. And it's got a lot of things in it. And it is incredibly dense and complex. And I found it really hard to use. And then I looked at Optimizely and I'm like, holy crap, this is so expensive. And also it, like, it, it's piecemeal. Like you can't do this, you can't do that. But if you add, you can add it on and blah, blah, blah. And it just gets more and more complex. Crazy Egg is all these tools built into one thing. And I think it cost me 30 bucks a month, which is nothing compared to those other softwares. Now, I, I was using Optimize or Google Optimize and that was free, but it didn't do any of the things that Crazy Egg does. So for example, I started to put, you can, you can just tell Crazy Egg, hey, I wanna monitor this URL on your website. One line of JavaScript. And it will create a, a snapshot, they call it, of, your, of that page. So I have one set up for all of my sales pages. And it does a heat map and a scroll map and a click map. And it just does it. And I'm like, oh my God, look at, people aren't scrolling this far on the sales page. Oh my God, why are people clicking that? That's not clickable. We should probably make that less wanting to click that thing. Like, okay, no one, everyone's clicking the video. We should probably improve the video. Little things that you don't even think about, right? That seem obvious, but until you see it, you're like, oh, interesting. One of the most interesting things that I've seen so far is I started, I just ran, I have it, and I just have it running right now. So it's just collecting data constantly. And the more data I have, the more insights appear, the more specific it gets. So when I look, I have my homepage set up as a heat map. There's all these bright spots, mostly the navigation bar, the, the two main buttons on my site. But then there's this one weird bright spot all the way at the bottom, all the way in the footer, under company, and it says about us. And it's bright, real bright. Like as bright as the clicks in my navigation bar. And I thought, a lot of people are coming to my homepage and scrolling right to the bottom and looking for that about us button. That should probably be at the top. Little things like that. The other thing it does is A-B testing and it has built in, you can just change the text on the page. So what we've done is every week or every two weeks, depending on how much data we collect, I'll just go in and they have AI built in too, which is really nice. And for this case, I love this AI. Because it will, you can say, I want to change the headline on my sales page. Like I want to test a new variant, a new variable, you know, a new headline. And it'll give you like five or six headlines to test against the one that you already have. It, it reads your headline and then spits out a bunch of AI generated ones. You can add the AI, AI one in and then obviously change it. And then you run that for another two weeks. Maybe you beat the control. Maybe you don't. Who cares? You do it, it takes two seconds to set up. And every, every two weeks, you know, every week it should, we're, we try to do it every week, but obviously it's January for us and things are slow. So I'm recording this in January. You're probably hearing this in February. So things are slow. So we're not getting as much data where every week we would test it. Now in the summertime, yeah, we'll probably test every week. All right. So that's improving sales pages. And Slowly, but every time I improve something on the sales page, which again, doesn't take long, you create a new snapshot and boom. The other thing it does is it records people. So you can watch videos of people actually using your sales page. It would be really helpful if we could hear them, but that would be an invasion of privacy. So we don't, we can't hear them, but yeah. Okay. 
This other one, these, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lump these together because these other two were lumped together. We could say improve courses and the sales pages for those courses. This is create more specific courses and create more specific lead magnets. So why would I do this? Well, let's talk about the lead magnets first. So right now we have two and they're specific enough because our website is, we have, I've always felt a little bit different because I have a website that caters to two completely different people, pool owners and hot tub owners. Now, some of those pool owners are also hot tub owners, but it's not a huge overlap. At least it's not as huge as you would think. So they have different needs. So I have a lead magnet for pool owners and a lead magnet for hot tub owners. Okay, the, the, those are the two broad categories of who we, of our audience. Now, a couple of years ago, we decided, hmm, there's a lot of pool owners who feel like they're special because they have what's called a saltwater pool. So anytime we publish content that's for general pool owners, everyone in the comments is like, yeah, but what about salt? And I go, well, it's the same damn thing. Stop thinking you're special. And that's what I want to yell at their face, but that's not what they want to hear. They think I spent this extra money for this special sanitation system. It's still chlorine. It's the same thing, except you don't have to add tablets. Your, your pool makes chlorine. That's the difference, okay? But so specific that we started creating content the same content, but just adding the word salt to it. And, and it's like, oh, it just feels way more specific. And people are actively searching for salt-specific content. Now, there are maybe six articles on our whole website right now that deal with saltwater pools. And on YouTube, there's probably four or five videos. But those are some of our most popular content, especially on YouTube. So we thought, let's just take our cheat sheet, change a few things, but call it the saltwater pool cheat sheet. That's more specific. Change the color, change, a there's a couple of replaced steps that's, that makes it different from the regular pool one. So now we have a generic one, and then we have a more specific one. Now, on those pages, so if you're reading an article, or watching a YouTube video about saltwater or about saltwater pool care. And then we go, hey, here's our lead magnet about saltwater pool care. The conversion rate on those pages is much higher than if we just had a general pool one. And so there are certain like subcategories within each main category of our content, of our topics where it feels like it could make more sense to create specific lead magnets to increase conversion rates on those pages. For example, we could create a cheat sheet for, I'm trying to think of something, uh, so for hot tubs, for example. For the hot tub, we only have one, but some people have what's called a swim spa. It's like a giant ass hot tub that you can swim in that you can swim against a, a giant current, okay? So there are not that many people, but if we were to do specific swim spa related content and then put that lead magnet in there, the conversion rate to leads would be much higher on those pages. So we can start to look at, hey, what are some of these specific pages where we're getting a lot of traffic, but the lead magnet could be a little bit more specific and it would increase our leads on those pages. Simple as that, simple as that. Um, yes, it means there's more management in that. It becomes a more complex system, but that's something we could do. And I think slowly but surely we'll start to introduce those. I used to do that back in the day and it did work, but it became a nightmare to manage because 
when it, you know you had all these different lead magnets you had to update and etc but i think now that this is like full time and we understand the audience a lot better that's what we're going to do now the same thing goes with courses so we have a flagship course called you know how to take care of your pool essentially whatever it is but we could create again with the saltwater example a saltwater addendum course because not everybody has saltwater. So it doesn't make sense for us to put saltwater in the main course because not everybody has it. Most people don't have it. But then if you do have it, it's, you, you still get the same value from the main course. The main course is for everybody, okay? But then you are special. So you, there's an addendum for just you. So if you have a saltwater pool and you wanna you know, learn a little bit more about your system in particular, then that should be a separate product. It's cheap add-on. If you have a specific problem that you're dealing with, that could also be an add-on. If you are somebody, and we have this now, if you're somebody who lives, say, in the Northeast where it gets cold, or where I live and it gets cold, you have to winterize your pool. Not everyone has to do that. In fact, more people don't winterize their pool because they live in Florida, in Southern California, Texas, etc. And I should say, nah, it's probably 50-50 because there's so many people with pools in the Northeast. Okay. But that is a separate product because not everybody has to do that. And adding that into the main thing, it's like, well, I don't need to learn this now. So it becomes this bloated course that covers everything and then ultimately, like, what do you, it's like, I'd rather make these courses incredibly specific and have a much tighter, you know, sales ask, sales pitch, and what problem we solve, more narrow problems. So those are combined, and that was a long example. This, I said, run A-B tests every week on important pages to improve conversions. Yeah, lump that in with improving sales pages but we're also improving the homepage. We're also improving our most popular uh, articles. So I do have the heat maps running on those pages because maybe they're not fast enough and I need to make them faster. Maybe the contents needs to be reshuffled. Who knows? So running those tests every week, slow incremental improvements. That's what we're, that's the name of the game here. In fact, it's probably the theme of this whole thing. Next one is publish content multiple times a day across social media platforms to gain the most attention of any pool company. <laughs> yeah. Right now, when we think about social media, and this is something that we're not doing, but let's but if we're thinking about if we're trying to be the pool company, like the help, you know, the most helpful pool company. I think about Dave Ramsey a lot. I don't particularly follow his stuff, but he runs a very similar business to mine, which is education. And that guy does three hours of content a day. They chop that up. They're, they're just spitting out tons and tons and tons of content. They're leveraging everything they've got. They have a huge team, multiple hosts, multiple podcasts, all of that stuff. And I think that we can do the same. Obviously, we're, our, our topic is not as popular as money, and we don't have the competition that they have in their industry, but might as well get ahead of it in case we do. I mean, hey, if, it, if we haven't found anybody now after the pandemic, I, you know... I don't know. So at this point, we're, pop, we're publishing about one piece of social media content a day. We're publishing a couple emails a week. We're publishing one video long form a week, two articles a week, along with two emails a week. So that's, that's a lot, but I do think because of our back catalog, we could be publishing 
you know, especially on social media. And let's just let's just because social media for us, I think we can just I don't want to say bombard it because I don't want to overdo it, but we could certainly increase the amount because it is so simple to do. Honestly, it's so simple. When you really think about it, you could just publish old content on a cycle. So we have on our website 200 posts. We could post 200 articles every single day. If we posted it twice a year, that's the whole year. There's, there's an article every day. But that's just articles. Then we have you know, hundreds of videos. There's another three, you know, 300 or whatever. So that's two posts a day. That's just content. That doesn't include, you know, our, so, our, our reels, which are every, you know, three times a week. So that's, you know, on some days that's three pieces. And then a- ask questions. And then there's other things we could, you know, just random small little things. And, and I haven't figured that out yet. That is something that I would love to work a little bit more on is how do we leverage social media to get leads? Because right now I think we're doing a good job with our short form real content, but I think we could increase the number of posts and I just don't know how to do that yet. But that is something I'm going to be working with my brother over the next, you know, year. Next, create email flows for every funnel and post purchases to improve customer success and repeat sales. So this is not complete yet, although I do have each funnel flow created. So when you subscribe to get any one of our lead magnets, I do have a email series that you go through and then you end up on the newsletter. That happens. What I don't have right now is post purchase flows and I don't have just general sales flows. So those are things I'm going to be working on this year, slowly but surely. And I won't go into detail. I feel like that's super long. And, uh, but for us, all of our sales are done via email for the most part. So I definitely need to work on that. And that's something that needs to be on my list of consistency. All right, here's one that's really interesting. Make sure, make sure all affiliate links are always working. Let me tell you something. I don't know, if you're not using Lasso, which is a tool that I helped build, if you're not using that tool on your WordPress site to keep track of affiliate links, I don't know how you're able to manage. I feel like that's such a hard job. I know there's other you know, affiliate plugins you could use, but that seems like such a hard job. Here's what I've done to solve that. So I use Lasso and every, I have a recurring task. I think it happens every Tuesday or Wednesday. Pops up and it just says, <laughs> I think it's, I don't know what it's, I don't know exactly what it says, but something along the lines of, make sure your affiliate links are working, idiot. <laughs> something like that. So what's nice about Lasso is that I, do, I mostly, right, at this point, it's all Amazon links, and we're expanding into other links, which is going to be a lot more difficult to manage. But with Amazon links and Lasso, you can go in and it'll tell you how many products are out of stock or no longer for sale. And so every week, there's pro- we have about 500 links, 500, literally 500 different products and I'm slowly, as I'm updating articles, I'm slowly pairing that back and being more specific in what we promote. But all I do is usually there's like two products that are out of stock every week. And I just go in and update them. Make sure that I'm, you know, find a new product that's related to it and just update it. It takes me five minutes and it ensures that everything on my website Every single product that I promote on my website is in stock and available for sale. And it just helps. And mainly it's like, yes, I make more money, but it's also good because 
these people are relying on my recommendations. And so I want to be able to provide them stuff that's actually for sale. Make sure SEO scores are near perfect. This is something that I'm slowly working on as I'm publishing and updating content. Since I am SEO boy in the company, I've been doing SEO for 20 years or more. I mean, I've been doing it for so long that I understand it. I feel like I've, I, there's, I feel like if, if I had any skill set that was worth a damn, that's it. And it sucks because it feels so fragile because, you know, who knows what Google's up to? Like, I'm not a Google expert, but I just know how to write and create valuable content. And I know how to design and code a site to be lightning fast and to be technic and to, and to satiate the crawl bots, if you will. And those things happen to help. It's, it's funny how they overlap. It, it happens to help the disabled. It happens to help general readers to consume my information. They just happen to be the same thing. So it's really just thinking through everybody's limitations and concerns and accommodating those. And then you have good SEO. Anything else that you do is a trick and is not going to serve you well in the future. <laughs> this is, all right, here's another, I have uh, three more, by the way. This is an interesting one. Spend less money per month than we make. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Uh, how do you do that? <laughs> so we are, uh, this is January, as I said as I'm recording this, and we definitely spend more money than we make in January, that's for sure, because January is literally our slowest month, February is just as slow, March is when it starts to pick up, so we got two more months before things start moving again, and even March can be slow, so... I think, I mean, look, we have a team of three. We are all paid well. And I am not lowering anybody's salary. That is not something that I want to do. If I will lower anyone's salary, it will be my own. I will take the hit. But that's not in the cards. Now, something that I do, and I've always done, I, I know... I, I'm the one who looks at QuickBooks. I am the bookkeeper of the company. I actually prefer it that way. And a lot of people, they can't be bothered with finance. It goes over their head. They, it confuses them. Maybe it scares them a little bit. For me, knowing every single penny that comes in and out of the company is the opposite of fear. It's safety. I know. I am the all-knower. And so when I see something that comes in or, I, or it gets, you know, if I see something that's a, an expense, I'm like, what's that? I always check. What is that? Oh, it's that. Okay, fine. Then I go, oh, we're paying for that software? No, we don't need that anymore. We're not using it anymore. So we stop paying for it. So I have a list, it's a spreadsheet, and I also can see it in, in uh, what do you call it, QuickBooks. I have a list of software that we just have recurring, and I have a list of how much we pay for ads, and I have a list of how much we pay our employees and how much we pay for you know, the telephone and the electricity and the internet and all that stuff. Like I know everything. I know everything that comes in and out. And I con- and my favorite thing to do is cut. I love cutting. I hate purchasing things. That's not true. I love purchasing things. But I really scrutinize things that I purchase because I'm like, well, what is this going to do? Is this going to, you know, the, the hardest purchase I've ever had to make is email marketing. It's the most expensive thing. 
We're paying $1,500 a month. That's insane. That's more than the website. That's more than, a, it's crazy. It's like, it's like a human being. It's like paying a, a VA. It's insane. But it pays for this. It more than pays for itself. It makes more money than it costs to, to buy. If you use it. <laughs> if you don't use it, then yeah, then it's just sitting there and it's a waste. So I constantly look at stuff like that and go, can we cut it? Now, software isn't really where the big expenses are. I mean, besides Clavio, there, software isn't, you know, you can get nickeled and dimed to death, death by a thousand cuts. That's the thing to worry about where you just, the plugins keep piling up, the, the tools keep piling up, piling up, piling up. Before you know it, you're spending, you know, five, $6,000 a month in just recurring software half of which you don't even use. But the real expenses is in people. That's where we spend most of our money. And right now, because of the season, we're just not making enough to cover. We're making probably just enough to cover salary. And uh, we're probably making just enough, but we're not spending less than we make, especially with ads. So... Obviously, we're a seasonal business, so we do very, very well in, this, in, in the summer, which you know, more than makes up for these months here. So when it comes to cash flow management, that is something that I also keep a close eye on. I make sure that we are padded over the wintertime. It's like if you're a school teacher, and I know, I know not everybody does this, but you can I – th- I mean I'm speaking out of turn here, but let me just – it's an analogy and I'm just going to run with it. School teachers only work eight months out of the year. They're off the summers or nine months out of the year. And they're off for the three months in the summer. Well, I remember I I dated a teacher who said that they had the choice of being paid more, but only for nine months or less and have it spread out over 12. And she said, everyone chooses nine because you just get more money per paycheck. But then all of them are forced to take a summer job. So I thought, mm, yeah, that's just bad cash flow management. That's not how much you make. That's how much you make when you work. But if you actually spread it out over 12 months, then yes, it's less per month. So the way that we look at it is, oh yeah, we make a lot of money in July and June and, and those in summer months, May. But no, 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 no. That's got to get stashed. That's got to be stashed away like acorns in a tree that's got to be tucked away for the winter time for our business i wish it was the opposite i wish you know like we're i know a lot of companies that their biggest month is december or or even like the end of november with black friday it's like oh or they're just one of those consistently going up and up and up and up every month and that's great because it's way easier to manage but for a seasonal business it's totally different so one of the tenets of running a business, for me at least, is know your, know your numbers, one. Know your finances. Keep an eye on that shit. We don't have a complex financial business where it requires a bookkeeper to constantly categorize incoming and outgoing ex- income and expenses. We just, I do it once a month. And... It's it's an all-day thing. It's like one day and it's like I'm just looking at all of my expenses. I'm looking at every single metric of the business. Just basically a checkup. Anything I can cut this month? Can't wait. Oh, we started doing that? All right, let's try it for a month. But next month it's going to get re-scrutinized. Super helpful. But yeah, spend less money than we make per month. We We definitely do that if you spread our income over 12 months. So that we do. However, January, it's like, yeah, way less. And so uh, if we look at it per month, no. But if we look, space it out over 12 months, yes. And this year, I am one, I am going to, that's going to be like even more important for me. I want to go, I want more profit than I know what to do with. Because that's safety for me and safety for the company. And I also think, too, all of the things that I mentioned previous to that comment are going to help make that comment 
or make that task a lot easier. Two more. Track important metrics every month. I did an episode on this. And yeah, this year is the start of a new, I'm turning, I'm going to track some new stuff, some more, more in the social media world, more in the sales page world. I'm going to track a few more metrics than I normally do just to get a better health, you know, I would love to be able to build some sort of like spreadsheet and I'm going to do it all manually, by the way. I'm not trying not to build anything. I, I've gone down that road so many times where I've tried to use something like Looker Studio or a dashboard like Gecko Board or something like that where it pulls in the data automatically and, you know, I don't have to go and manually do it. But the act of manually going into each of these tools, these, these analytic tools, and s- grabbing the data and sticking it into a spreadsheet serves two purposes. One, you are forced to go into these tools and use them. Two, when you lock it into a spreadsheet, it's there. It's, it's forever. I have, um, you know, with Google Analytics 4, dis- or sorry, not 4, but Universal Analytics disappearing... I've lost all of my traffic data, gone. That's actually not true because I have it all, all the way going, going all the way back to 2013 like, or 12 because I just took that metric, the total number of unique visitors every month to my website, and I took that metric out every month and I stuck it into a spreadsheet. So I can go back and see how well we, you know, I have that historical data. And I, will, and I own it forever. So I think it's important to do that. I also think it's really important to see change. So I would love, and you know, vanity metrics, I don't care. I know that traffic is a vanity metric. I know that. I know subscribers is a vanity metric. But those are the metrics that we use to see the health of our company, right? Like, I know that my weight, if I, was, if, if I was on the journey to losing weight, that my weight is not the number you really should track. It should be maybe your waistline, okay? But, because weight can fluctuate, right? Weight can, you can eat a salty burger one night and the next day you've gained four pounds. But if you look at that number, the weight number specifically, over time, it starts to tell a different story. Day to day, nothing. It's the stock market. You know, day to day, ups and downs, ups and downs. Over time, hopefully it's all up. Now, when it comes to social media, I don't know any other number that makes sense that I know that I can accurately track forever except followers. Are we actively using followers Are we actively creating content to gain followers? No. Same with YouTube. We, yes, we could track views, views, total views, right? And it's like, okay, well, we know how to, we know how to manipulate that number. But to me, I'm like, well, let's just use a smaller, more manageable number and make sure that we're just going up. And to me, yeah, subscribers is vanity metric, but if it's going up, then we're doing something right. And it may not go up like gangbusters, but if it's still going up, then we're good. But you know that something fucked up if you start losing subscribers. That's not good. So that's, the, I think, important to, to look at. And finally, and this is something that I don't have set up right now, but it is definitely something I have to do. So even reading this, which was, you know, almost a month and a half ago, there are some things on here that I still think are true that I, I mean, actually every single one of these, I'm like, hell yeah. Came from my brain. Hell yeah. I haven't, I haven't flip-flopped on any of these, but this one I'm currently not doing yet. Consistently collect testimonials and customer feedback to improve products. Now, it's not entirely true, 
I do have one, I'm using Typeform, and I have one flow set up. So if, so we have one product that we kind of sell via email. Excuse me. That product is our physical book. It is our best product by far. Not by far, but it's, it's the most recent product and we spent a long time on it and we made it really good. And so we sell that via email. When someone buys that, the first thing that's, when someone purchases that book, they get sent an email. And the email says, and this is something that I'm definitely gonna think about, maybe even do another episode on this. But the book takes about seven to 10 days to print and ship to the customer. Personally, I hate that because it just takes, a book shouldn't take that long, but that's media mail. If I were to ship the book myself, it would probably take five to seven days. So I, I shave a couple of days off. But what's nice about this is that I don't have to print and store it and have capital out of pocket and ship the book myself and all that stuff. So it has its benefits. Now, I, so when I, so people were buying the book at first and I kept getting the same email, which was, hey, I ordered this book. Where is it? And, and the only reason people sent that was because it took a while. It took more than a week. And people were like, well, what the hell? When I order a book from Amazon, it takes two days. We're not Amazon. But they don't know that. So I basically just created an email as soon as they buy just the book. So it only triggers if they buy the book. And I say, hey, thanks for buying the book. Here's how it works. We are currently printing you a copy of your own book and we are gonna ship it to you via media mail and it takes about seven to 10 days. If after 10 days you don't see your book, please let us know, but otherwise just be patient and it'll arrive shortly. In the meantime, here's your digital copy of the book. Here's your PDF. So you have the book instantly. And then here's some other things. Then I I follow up with another email that's like, hey, your book's still on the way, it's, it's coming, but here's some other things to hold you over in the meantime, like access to our, you know, hey, we have a YouTube channel, here's our videos, here's our whatever. And then I don't have a trigger to tell me if the book was delivered. It's unfortunate, but I don't have that. Maybe I do, maybe I can check Clavio to see if they have it, but I basically just wait a few days. And I wait till I know that they absolutely have the book and I've given them some time to peruse through it. And then I trigger an email that says, hey, what did you think of the book? Just let us know. I'm not asking for a testimonial. I'm just asking for feedback. And I send them a link to a type form. It has four questions on it. I can tell you what those questions are if I, if I can remember them. Okay, so the first question is like, you know, what'd you think of the book? Just general feedback. Everything's open-ended, by the way. There's no multiple choice. What, did anything in the book confuse you? What did you like most about the book? And what would you, what would you think needed to be added that, wasn't, that you didn't find in the book? So anything that they're confused by, we know, okay, we should probably go back into that section and update it, which is nice about the book and being on demand is that we can update the book and then every new person who buys will get the updated version. Whereas if we printed a bulk order of like a thousand books and stored them and shipped them, well, those thousand books are locked in time. So that is one piece of data that we're collecting. What we're not collecting right now is testimonials. And I, I've gone back and forth in the idea of automating that. You know, should we automate testimonials? 
And here's why I go back and forth because let's say we automate it. So we just have an email that triggers after they buy any one of our products and we just say, hey, here's a form, you know, let us know uh, what you thought. And, you know, give us your email, give us a hedge. If you want to submit a test, you know. So we're just collecting that information. So I go back and forth. If I ask for a testimonial consistently, then those testimonials will keep piling up. And then what? What's the action that gets me to take those testimonials and put them where they need to go, whether it's an email or a, or a sales page versus the alternative to that, which is to periodically, let's say I want to improve the sales page or I want to write a sales email. And wouldn't it be great if I had some testimonials? So in that moment, since I'm working on that project, I could send out a mass email to everyone even if you may have already sent in a testimonial, I could send out a mass email to everybody asking them to supply me with testimonials. And so I can just sit down, wait for those testimonials to come in, and then I know the action that I'm gonna take on collecting that. So it is not a consistent collection plate. It's a more targeted, hey, I need some feedback from you right now because I'm about to go on a tear no, so the feedback, I guess, is helpful to collect on, you know, it's helpful to collect that consistently because, yeah, when I go, I guess it, it's either one, right? Now that I'm saying it out loud because now I'm thinking, okay, well, if I do it, it's like, okay, I want to work on the sales page today, right? I want to improve some stuff. So I go, oh, but I can't because I got to go send out an email first and wait for that data to pour in. Whereas actually the data is already there because we've just been slowly collecting it over time. So let's go look. Do we have any new, do we have any new testimonials? Yeah. Okay, cool. We have three or four. Let's add those to the list. Ah, yep. I already, <laughs> yep. There you go. Talked myself out of that one. That makes way more sense. And so I only tap into it when I need it. So it's just a supply bank, the same way with the feedback. When I go, to, and this is what came up of it, is like, if I go and want to improve a product that week, then I can just, before I go and improve that product, let me go look at our feedback and see if anything comes up that, oh, okay, somebody doesn't like this. Oh, that's a good lesson I can make. I mean, let me make that. Now, yeah, so what is a testimonial? I personally, I'd have to sit down and really think about this, but personally I would want a, I would want somebody to write a decent number of words. Because a lot of people just write one sentences and they're like, yeah, that's the, there's a testimonial. I'm like, it's not really that helpful. So there should be a limit on, like you have to hit a certain number of words. Or just not give a shit. You know, like some people will write long stuff. Some people will write short stuff. Who cares? I should also, rec you know, force people to have a photo. The photo should be of themselves. And I should have them take a photo of their pool. Or hot tub or whatever. So I have that as well. Do I offer an incentive to do this. Well, so these are already customers. So the incentive could be, yeah, let me, I'll, I'll, if you, you know, if you're, if, if we use your testimonial, I'll send you a $25 gift card or something or, you know, whatever, only if we use it. So, you know, and I can, I can even say, hey, we'll send you a $25 gift card if you do a written testimonial with images, or we'll send you a $75 gift card if you do a video testimonial or something like that. And then it's just, I'm not sending a, a 
gift card to everybody. I'm only sending it to the people where I used that testimonial. And I go, wow. And then maybe more people will give us the video version and they can just film the video on their phone. I don't need any special software. Yeah, I should probably set that up. But I need to go back and do post-purchase post flows or post-purchase email automations before I, obviously I need those in place before I start collecting testimonials. But that is definitely something that needs to be done before April, for sure. So that's my list. Uh, let me know what you think, matt at moneylab.co. Think I need to add anything to that? Let me know if you think I need to subtract anything. Also let me know. Let me know what you're doing. If you have any questions, also let me know. That's it, goodbye.